indeed. Now I want you to notice something he didn't say. He did not say, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. They were disciples not because of their following, but because of their believing. Look at what he says. They believed on him, verse 31. He said, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. That means if you believe on me and trust me, and then take up what I tell you, walk in what I say, your deeds and your complete freedom will come in your progression with me. That's what he's saying. Uh, verse 32, and ye shall, you see, when you pick up this book, you'll know the truth. Are you listening? You'll never go wrong going in the book. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then he, he, they answered and said, we ain't never been in bondage to nobody. We're of Abraham's seed. This crowd needed a, 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 a spiritual lesson. Uh, Jesus said, well, verily I say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. He goes on down through there. And look at verse number 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. If you take my word and walk in it and quote it to the devil and shout it in church, and write it on the tables of your heart and hang it on the refrigerator door. He said, if you'll lean to my word, then continuance is going to be a part of you and freedom being set free from deeds or in deeds. You are going to be set free fully in your actions. Now, you can be saved and not be free indeed. You can be free and not be free indeed. How many of you know that? You got saved, you got born again, but you still had problems. You got free. God set you free from what you was. But you are not altogether at the place of obtaining or apprehending yet. You see... God has some more freedom for you. Now, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you tonight to speak, work, and bless in this service. Bring honor and glory and praise unto yourself because of the preached Word of God. And we'll try our best to thank you and to give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Why, now here's the question I'm going to answer tonight. Get your Bible in your hand. Forget about everything you left at home. If your dog's having puppies, they'll all be, bark they'll all be barking when we get to help me. I need some help now. Y'all got to help me tonight. They'll be barking when you get home. Don't worry about them. God will take care of all that. But you need to get what God has for you this evening. Every one of us need to understand something. There's a reason 
why our freedom is restricted. There's a reason why some of us grow like a weed and others of us just sort of stay put. I'm going to try tonight to answer the best I can some of these reasons, some of these this baggage that we bring, and that's what I want to call this tonight, baggage that burdens. Things we bring on, on board as God's children. Things we bring into relationships as people. Things we bring into our relationship as God's people. I have tonight three basic places that I want to bring to you. And three bags. Bag number one. I have a bellhop who is bringing the baggage with him. All right. Isn't he a, a bellhop for sure? All right. The first thing that you'll find out that is baggage that we bring into our relationship that hinders our freedom is an unresolved conflict. Uh, write this down somewhere. Unresolved conflict. We come out of the world into a relationship with God, and we bring this baggage of unresolved conflicts. Things in our experience as we came up as children, Things in our experience that was taught us by our parents, that's why we ought to strive to be good parents. Because we are communicating truth and we are communicating things that's building lives. And as we come up and as we grow and as we mature, we find out that we are coming into conflict in life and conflicts in life. For instance, and for illustration's sake, there are those here tonight in your family before Jesus, and if I was to ask you, you could stand up like popping corn. Your family, before you met Christ and before Jesus saved you, was a family of difficulty and problems. For instance, there are those in this auditorium who has experienced abortion. That is one of the most traumatic traumas that a woman can ever go through. And they experience that because of incest. They experience that because their daddy didn't have a lick of control over his own spirit. And he allowed himself to abuse one of his own children. In this congregation tonight, there are those that had a mother who was so domineering and so difficult to get along with that she made sure because she was unhappy that the girl and the boy or the two or three children she raised was as equally unhappy as she was because she was not going to let anybody have what she did not possess, especially if it was akin to happy. And all over this congregation there are families that are fractured. I mean, some of you are 30, some of you are 40, some of you are like me. You're in your 50s, and there are things that are so deep and so dark, you have never uttered them to a soul 
but you brought them into your Christian life. You didn't leave them at the altar when you got saved. You didn't cry out to God, Oh, Lord, help me and save me. I promise you, anybody that calls out to God, God saves them instantaneously. I need some help in here tonight. How about it? I said he saves. You don't have to get a tape and listen to all Roberts prophesy on healing. You don't have to get a tape uh, by anybody's fire baptized preaching. You're supposed to pray. Don't forget to pray. Now, did I already pray? Just sit there and I'll let you pray when it's time to pray. And don't look at me like you're mad, all right? I felt your spirit while I was preaching. Does it feel good for y'all to see somebody get on him after he gets on you all the time? All right. And and you don't you don't have to travail. You don't have to pray through. You you don't have to lay out for weeks and ask God to somehow mystically fall on you and save you. When Jesus said on the cross, "It is finished," your salvation became instantaneous. <laughs> Amen. Thank God it became instantaneous, but the rest of you ain't changed a lick. You are, I don't care how saved you can get saved, sanctified with two big S's. I mean, you can get it all, I'm talking about, head and fall down around your neck and drape over your shoulders. And guess what you're going to be? With heaven draped around your shoulders, the same person you was before you prayed. Are you listening? You still have the same rearing. You didn't go up there and kneel down and say, oh, but some of you expect this. That's why when you're not getting it, you're getting discouraged. I came to God and told God all about my problems, and I thought God would... Deliver me. Well, he is delivering you, but it's not delivered yet. You know, you got to understand, this dear sister did not have her child at conception. She is delivering her child. She's coming along. She has not birthed yet. She did not look at her husband and say, we have conceived and we better run out and get a crib right now. Uh, she, is, she is conceiving. She is developing. And that child will be birthed just like your problem will be birthed, taken care of in time. But it doesn't happen instantaneous. You still have those, those failures. There's some people in this auditorium that has done jail time and others that should have. And the one preaching should have been in cell block one. But we've done jail time. There's nothing God or you can do to erase that. Those memories will always be there. They don't have to haunt you, but they will show up at you. And they will do everything. They won't do anything, but something will take them and do something to you. And Satan will take what you give him. Everything Satan uses against you, you deposited in an account and told him the number. And he is using it against you. But when you have Jesus as your Savior, you now have one who runs the bank. 
He's president of the fall. Uh, Satan may have access to torment you, but the bank president has the last say about what happens with the deposit. Am I right about it? Some of you have went through divorce. I want to tell you something, and I want to make it real plain here tonight on this little word and on this little subject. You are a treasured gift to this church. And if you've got 200 other people you know is divorced, nobody wants them, tell them, i got to see I like shipwrecked lives because I was shipwrecked when Jesus found me. And I know something about wreckage. I don't know much about perfection. I don't know much about being all right. But I know something about being caught. I don't work well around people who are goody to you Christians. Jesus didn't call them that. I did. It's a modern term. He just called them Pharisees. But by the grace of God, so go I. You've been divorced. You have children I've never met. You have children that you don't know where they are. You have children who are lost because they're living in a set of values you created. And you can't do anything about it. You got saved and looked back and said, oh, and you called them. And they said, I'll tell you what you do with that God. You stuff him somewhere. He didn't help you when you was with me. And I got no reason to believe you now. And they hang up on you. What a depressing, depleting state of affairs. But it happens. And that doesn't go away just because you say, save me, Jesus. That comes into the relationship. Now we have unresolved conflicts. We have unresolved problems. In the book, you ladies ought to get this book and read it. When Victims Marry. When Victims Marry. Diane has it, and she is a student of reading better than I am. She reads through things and then tells me the best part, and then I take the easy way and read the best part of it. And there was a section in there where this lady gave an illustration. She said this. She said, one time in my life I had three impacted wisdom teeth. If you've ever had one of those, you know, Diane had four. Richard had four. Impacted wisdom teeth. Had to have them cut out. Well, when they cut hers out and when this lady giving this illustration told the story, she said, when I left the doctor's office, there's one thing you do not want to let happen, a dry socket. He, she said, what do you mean? He said, it's when a healing takes place that looks well, but underneath that healing there is infection. And the food particles that get into that hole and, um, and, and the infection that will set up cannot even be seen. It cannot be observed because it will have a fake healing grow over it. It looks well, but down deep it feels awful. And it will get abscessed, and then you have to be operated on. A dry socket, not just in your mouth, 
but in your spirit tonight is when you think everything's all right because you can down deep. Tears are running down the cheeks of your soul and problems are everywhere. And you wonder why it is when the preaching's going on and the singing's going on, why in the world can I get into it? And why do these memories, these images keep replaying? The devil knows where the rewind button is, too. And he knows right where I want to stop in the worst place of your past. But, preacher, can't God take that out? He doesn't. Oh, God can do anything, but God doesn't take it out. I'm as saved as I can get. I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be. I do what I can to walk with God. I do what I can to pray and seek the Lord and be the best I can for the people in this fellowship. But I promise you tonight, I don't go one day without him rewinding something. Even though he knows that it's not going to throw me out, he knows there's a speck of a chance of it bothering me. And as long as I'm bothered, I'm not blessing. So, what baggage do we bring? We bring the bag of unresolved conflict application. Your daddy, your step-daddy, to be more specific, your uncle, to be direct, sat you on his knee when you were nine. You trusted him because he was your daddy's brother. And his hands touched you in places nobody should ever touch you. And he had an explanation and he had some advice. And that advice went something like this. Don't tell anybody how much uncle so-and-so loves you. And that image is a Polaroid that never fades. And that little girl pulls that bag all through life. She begs the psychiatrist to take it. His hand don't fit. She begs Daddy to take it away. She don't say anything about the specifics but she don't feel good at family reunions. And when so-and-so comes over, she always runs and hides and has a convenient excuse why she's not there. Then she married. And she's not compatible sexually with her husband who don't know anything about why. Because those are bags we pack. And only bags we unpack. And we do not let nobody even X-Rim. We don't go anywhere where anybody's going to look in it because then they think we are a tramp. Because that's what the devil told you you was 
when the uncle touched her. And all you really was was a child who was abused and had sin put its fingerprints on your life. And then when you were 23 or 24 or 30 or 31, you was in a Baptist church and an old boy was preaching his heart out. And you said, that's what I need. And you know how you came down the aisle? Oh, you didn't come empty-handed. You came down the aisle just like this. And he said, Jesus loves you, and God wants to save you. And you said, finally, I'm to unburden my burdening baggage. You knelt down on the altar and said, oh, God, save me for Jesus' sake. You got up and got baptized, and they said, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, you said, could it be? This isn't going to ever bother me again. But the truth of the matter is, when you got up and went back to your seat, the damage is still there, but the salvation has washed it clean. Your mind still remembers, but God's doesn't. You got washed in the blood of the Lamb according to the death. But the bag doesn't go to heaven. And the bag don't go nowhere. The bag goes back to you. You say, I have a hard time with that because... The Bible teaches if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And he is. But he has an old bag. There are ways to resolve these conflicts. Listen closely. I'm not done. Here's the second one. Not only unreserved or unresolved conflicts. (laughs) And... And didn't, while he's coming, just stand right there, sir, if you will. Bring my bags right over there, and I'll tip you at the end of the service. Right over there. There you go. Didn't Saul die over an unresolved conflict? Who did Saul Saul have a conflict with? David. And I want to tell you something about that envious heart he had. It became burdensome baggage. And everywhere Saul went, that envious spirit, that pride, and that jealousy over David's popularity was eating him up. David didn't want to become a Saul, and Saul couldn't become a David because Saul was eat up with being number one. Saul fell on the battlefield after he was wounded, didn't want to be killed by the enemy, and Saul might as well fell and died on the handle of his baggage. Because it was the reason he died. He did not resolve his problem. Number two, there's an unredeemed character. By that I mean when you get saved, you you come down here and you... 
you give your life to Jesus, you trust Him. Well, let's go back further than that. Let's say when you're five or six years old, you're, you're, you're raised by someone who drinks. That's why alcohol is totally and absolutely unacceptable to a Bible-believing Christian in any dose. A woman called me the other day and said, Sir, I have a man who wants to give you 13 grand to rent your house for masters. I said, What are they going to be doing in it? She told me, I said, you mean they're going to be partying? Well, yeah, that's what they do at the Masters. I said, ma'am, keep your money. This is a pastorium, not a party house. This is a house of God. Take your money home with it, ma'am. Ain't nobody coming in my house drinking anything stronger than Diet Pepsi. Not for no man's money. Are you listening? And let's say he drank. And he was a drunkard. Let's say that mother had dope troubles in problems. That child's not going to be a Sunday school teacher because somebody deemed it so outside the family. She's going to be affected by the in-house inadequacies going on around her. And she pulls at 12 and 13 and 14 years old. She sees mom and daddy doing it. She goes to school. And one day somebody offers her a reefer. And before you know it, she's smoking marijuana. And before you know it, to be accepted, she's sipping on a beer. Why? Because nobody's told her what it'll do. And nobody's shown her that she didn't need it. God help you. If you're one way on this subject at home and come to church and you're another way here. I'm not a good Christian, but I don't have to be a hypocrite. And you don't either. And there she is. She learns the character of that kind of upbringing. And then one day she comes to an altar and she kneels down. She gets saved. She gets up and gets baptized. And she says, I wonder if there are people who really love each other and don't get drunk and fight. I've heard there are people that don't even use drugs. I wonder if God can make me that kind of person. Yes, He can. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. He does that. But once it becomes a part of you, it becomes package. You say, preacher, can God save me from ever wanting it again? Oh, Jan, lust, stand up. Crack cocaine. Sit on the curb over yonder uh, on Seymour Place and smoke dope when he was a teenager. That's how I met Jan. He was just a kid smoking dope. Spending his money on crack. And God saved him. And he never touched it again. That don't happen to everybody. But you know what we talk about when we get around each other and that subject comes up? What it did to him. And he got as saved as you can get, but he got up 
same person as he went down there. If you're unemployed and you come and give your life to God, you don't get a job on the altar. If you come down this aisle with hurt feelings and kneel down and pray, oh God, take them away, and you get up, most of the time you go back to your seat with the same feeling. Oh, you're not going to get honest about that. But you know as well as I do, that's why people don't stay because God doesn't do what He says. But the truth of the matter is, it's in your character. It's in your character. And God will, in due time, deliver you if you will do what you're supposed to do in this situation with this baggage. But an unredeemed character is always going to have problems and difficulties after they come. The Bible says this, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, you read that, and you go through that, the first thing, and the devil will read the Bible with you. The devil will tell you, everything you used to be is gone. It shouldn't affect you anymore, and if it does, you're not serious. Will he read the Bible with you? And he says, all things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. And you know everything's not become new with you. You must not be new. Now let me ask y'all something. When you walked down and got saved, did everything in your life start new? No, it didn't. Then how are we going to explain that? We're going to interpret it out of its original language. Listen to this. This is exactly how this verse reads in the text, in the Greek. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And in his spirit and in his soul, he's brand new. Where God counts, he's clean. All things are passing. Present tense in the aorist. Present tense means a progressive act. They're passing away. Behold, all things are becoming, just like that child is becoming born, you are becoming progressively more and more like Jesus. And you know when you'll be like him? When you see him. But guess what? Not until. Well, what, what do we call it until we see him? It's baggage. Every one of us have our baggage. Every one of us have our problems. But don't leave me. Now, if you come up here lazy and get saved, you're going to still be lazy. You come out employed, you're not going to get a job up here tonight unless Brother Steve gives you one working on speakers. If you come angry, you're still going to be angry. If you come mistrusting, you're still going to have a character of mistrusting. You were raised by someone who instilled in you certain traits. They are inbred in you. A prayer doesn't erase them. They came slow and they leave slower. Baptism don't wash them away. Church membership doesn't right the ship. New friends doesn't change this. But I tell you this right now. If you'll continue in His Word, then are you my disciples indeed. I'm going to take the deeds in your life and I'm going to turn them around. But only in time 
and in my time. Why did Jesus say, when Simon said, should I, should I forgive my brother seven, seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. Why did he tell him that? Because he knew that that unredeemed character, that unredeemed flesh, was going to fall over and over and over again. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 52, and 53, all down through that. Notice what it says. When this mortal shall put on immortality, and this corruptible shall put on incorruption, then shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. Then he says, oh, death, you better sting while you can. You better do while you can, what you can, because there's coming a good glad day when immortality is going to swallow up mortality and incorruptibleness is going to be shut down. Our corruption is going to be shut down by incorruption, and we're going to be made whole in body because we'll get a brand new one. But tonight, in your life, and in all of our lives, there are, there are unredeemed characters. You walk by, let me show you how it works. You got saved. You've been saved 10 years. You walk by a magazine rack. I don't care how much they cover it up. I don't care how many counters they put it behind. Wham. Your eyes catch them. You wheel around and say, oh, God, I'm sorry. The devil jumps out and says, that ain't enough if you was really saved. Now, you need to tell him you are a bona fide liar. That's how I was. And my was is still in my am. Except my am ain't what my was was because my am is going with him. And you turn, shake the dust off your feet, me messing with that moron, and move on. Hello? You're surfing through the channels, and all of a sudden there's something comes up there, introductory offer. You didn't ask for it. You didn't sign up for it. You don't want to pay for it. But they'll slide it in on your cable to see if you game. And I mean such ungodliness you ain't never seen. Such ungodliness. You can't even turn one on in a motel. I carry somebody with me for accountability. I don't get lonesome. I get stupid. But I don't get stupid by myself and allow myself to allow me to be less than what God wants me to be. And that's why accountability needs to be a credibility. You, you sit and you hit it. And all of a sudden your thumb gets a cramp. Because your eyes get hooked. That's not because you're not a Christian. That's because your eyes feast on your characterless heart. And then you say, oh, God. Here's the difference between a lost man and a saved man. Lost man says, Woo-wee. Picks up, well, you'll be on channel 122. Man, they got it rocking. I mean, move it. Save <laughs> man says, oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Turn it off. Man, hallelujah. I'm glad my am ain't what my was was. <laughs> You're not lost because you like what the flesh desires. You're lost because you keep doing it with permission. 
and enjoying it and hiding when the preacher says anything about it. So you can get back to it as soon as you can and you have a desire in your heart to live like that. Unredeemed, unredeemed character. Here's the last one, quickly. An unreleased commitment. An unreleased commitment. <clears throat> there, are, there are several of us who are saved. We come to God and confess our sins. We repent of what we was. We repent of where we came from. But what about a will to become what He wants? Now, thank you, sir. What about a will to become what He wants? We have been forgiven from what we was, but now God wants to lay claim on who we are and what happens? We have brought this hesitancy with us. We have come into this Christian life with three problems. Write them down somewhere. They'll be on the screen. A low opinion of our ability. A low opinion of our ability. That keeps us carrying this baggage. Where's my bag? That keeps us from, from dealing with and this, depositing this baggage where it needs to be. And earn our low opinion of our own ability. If God has saved you from what you used to be, and He's dealing with you about doing something for Him, don't put any confidence in your ability to do it. That's the thing you don't need to do. You need to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not with thine own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct the path. I don't find any ability in that verse on my part, except trust in the Lord. Lean on Him. He'll take care of it. Notice the second fear. We are afraid to release our commitment and we bring this baggage of, of, of inability into the relationship, and we hold on to our own lives unreleased because we're afraid to make a commitment because fear has us tied up. When Paul was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he said, I know, Jonathan preached on this the other night. I know the unfeigned faith that was, in, that was in you. It was in first in your mother Lois and your grandmother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it's also in you. He goes on down, that's verse 6. If you look down in verse number 7, he says this, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and a love and a sound mind. What's Paul telling Timothy? God has put faith in you. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. But what does the devil do? If you give yourself to Jesus, he'll send you to the North Pole. You'll be preaching to polar bears. Or they'll send you to Africa. You'll be eating monkey meat by the pound and having to cook it yourself on a stick on a fire you'll have to build. That's what God does with committed people. Nothing could be further from the truth. If God sends you to the, to the North Pole to preach to polar bears, he'll let you fall in, lo in love with bear meat. You don't have to fear what God will do for you. You don't have to worry. But so many people come and they won't release themselves to God because the last person they released themselves to hurt them. And they won't turn loose 
because last time they did, they were insecure and didn't have nothing to grab onto. Where is God? I mean, where, I know where my baggage is, but where is the Lord when you want to grab him? You don't grab him. And he deals with your baggage in the grabbing. <laughs> I thought you can have bags and they be empty. Just like scars, they can't hurt you. All they can do is if you want to look at them, you remember how you got them, but you ain't going to have no sharp pain over the memory. Fear. Oh, I would tell somebody about Jesus, but Lord, I don't know nothing, number one. And they may cuss me out, and I can't take that. My daddy, I can't do that. Here's the third one. Weaknesses. Just plain old weaknesses. I just don't think I'm strong enough. Oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. For Paul said, take my foreign God, please, three times. He begged him and he said this. He said, Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity, reproaches, necessities, persecution, distresses for Christ's sake. He says, For when I'm willing, then am I strong. How in the world can you be weak and strong? Illustration I quit. I was in a waffle, in a waffle house. I saw the queen of waffle sitting over here. Uh, celebrity. I saw you have a picture on the menu. Right beside the delicacies. I jumped up and told everybody on Washington Road, this way to go to our church. They all went to the back room to smoke. <laughs> you can get it at the front of the line, too, by the way, if you want to. I'll tell you about that. I was sitting in a Waffle House in Asheville, North Carolina, on exit 2 off of 26 by the farmer's market. Turn left over there, there's a comfort inn and a Waffle House. I go in there and I sit down, I've preached for Brother Ralph Sexton, and this big tour bus pulls up. They go down around the, behind the Waffle House in a few minutes, three men come up. Two I did not know. One I recognized. It was David Ring. David came into the Waffle House. This was the first time I'd ever met him. It's been years ago. He sat down in a white shirt and a black pants, and it was tired and wore out. He was coming in after I had quit preaching on Wednesday to preach for Ralph on Thursday. I couldn't help it. I'm nosy. And I went over there, and I sat down with him for a few minutes, and I said, Brother David, my name is so-and-so, and I'm in the same meeting with you. Oh, Brother Brown, I know who you are, and he, uh, he has cerebral palsy. And he, he talked, Brother Brown, I, I love you. Sweetest man you'll ever meet in your life. Loves God. I said, tell me what you're doing. Uh, I'll be in, in this meeting. And the more I talked to him, the more intriguing he got. And I never will forget this. I don't guess I asked him a question. 
I said, David, how in the world do you travel around the country with this sickness and this difficulty? He said, oh, Brother Brown, I wouldn't be going around the country if it wasn't for my sickness. He said, my weakness, my weakness is my strength. And the Holy Ghost said, that's that verse. Out of nothing. A power of deformed flesh and the inability to communicate. God took a weakness and made a man out of him. He's preached in the largest churches in this country. I saw him the other day on John Hagee's program. He was up there giving his testimony and sharing the gospel. And I thought, my soul, don't ever feel sorry for him. This guy's preaching to millions of people around the world. I seen him at, at, at Brother uh, Ralph's not too long after that, a couple of more meetings, and he got in the pulpit and made this statement. He said, I'm not a good preacher. He said, I could never preach if it were not for several points. He said, Brother Brown, you need a reason to. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Turn it around. You say, not me, I've been delivered. Put in the right situation, smell the right pipe tobacco, and you'll want to smoke it. I don't smoke, I just follow people around at Walmart. <laughs> it don't cost as much. You die later than they do on second hands. <laughs> See, my cat is unredeemed. Somebody told me the other day, the only reason I keep coming back here is you remind me of me. <laughs> well, that's all right. And then, and then we have this baggage of unreleased holding on to our lives. And we're so insecure, we think the God of creation can't take care of us. But I know what it's like. The night God called me to preach, I was there hooking my tower. He said, turn it loose, and I'll make something out of you. And I said, God in heaven, please, you don't know who you have. You have got the worst specimen in this crowd. I know who I got. Turn. Oh, God, don't make me turn. Listen, if I turn loose, I'll have nothing to hold on to. But you and I can't find you when I need you. And I... And he said, just turn loose. And over 30 years ago, I turned loose. And my bag's empty. Oh, I still have the remembrance. But I don't have the clothes. Let me give you this. Timmy, give me those three things I told you to put up at the end. Here's how you deal with this baggage. 
Quit sitting around telling everybody you're all right. Quit telling everybody you're over that. If you're over it, how come it keeps coming back up? Not just coming back up in your mind, but you audibleize. Anything you audibleize, you're still living it. Anything that you use as a weapon to defend yourself is not dealt with. You run back to the drugs because you don't think it's a problem. You need to admit it. Number two, you need to attack it. In that book, continuing that word, there's where your deeds and your discipleship hooks up. And then advance. Go on with your life. I am the worst person in this building with a past. I don't care what you've done. I promise you. There's no reason logically and logistically for me to be preaching. Because what I was and what many of you have been through is not deemed credible. But I can preach. Because though I still have a bag, ain't nothing in it. (laughs) Why? Why? I admitted my problem. I'm still working on them. 34 years and I'm still dealing. I'm still admitting. I was coming down the road the other night by myself and the Holy Ghost brought up something 26 years old. And I said, Lord, why do you want to talk about that? He said, I don't want to. I need you to talk to me about it. I said, but Lord, it's, it's healed. That's where I got the sun. It's healed. He said, no, it's a dry socket. He said, I want you to knock the top off of it. Let me clean it out. And I did, and I'm thoroughly convinced I'll never have another run in with the Lord over again. That I can even tell you it came up. Something should have been dealt with a long time ago. I attacked it. God didn't just bring it up. He gave me verses to deal with it. And I know we're a little longer tonight, but we're deep entrenched in a problem here. And nobody wants to help you like I would to God I could about this right here. This has been eating me up for two weeks. And I didn't want to preach tonight because I, I shouldn't have. Couldn't talk till four o'clock. If I'm here up, I'm way out. But I'm more excited than I've ever been over this subject. Because this is victory. Admit I was molested. If you need counseling, get some, and if you have to make a phone call and say, I forgive you for your stupidity. Attack them. Hang it up. And when it comes back, have your bag somewhere and say, <laughs> Oh, I got 
is a remembrance of what used to be. Nobody dresses out of empty bag. And you don't have to tote that mess. Frank, if the devil can, he'll drive you, and he's tried. He'll drive you out of here on what I just preached. And I know you're having a problem. I have no idea what it is, but you've had your problem because I know Christians. And I know the kind of Christian you want to be and where you came from and what the devil will do to you. John, stand up. John sang in the youth choir last night. God's had John under conviction seven days. That big old boy got saved last night in the meeting. You know why he had to go seven days? He was worried about what y'all was going And the devil was packing his back, taking him to hell. Good night. You can, the other day I went to Murfreesboro just one night. I wore my suit. I heard all about the antics at the airport, so I just took... A, a little old handbag with my toothbrush and toothpaste just about this big. And when I went to the airport, the lab the light, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am. I don't want a whole lot for you to look at. She said, well, let me see what little bit you got. She run it through, run me through the screen. I took my shoes off and threw them in there and throwed me in that little place back there. And when she come out, she said, here. She said, I don't know what you're going to do with this little bit of where you're going, but you sure ain't packed much. I sat down and say, Amen. I'm traveling light tonight. I don't have no bags. Amen. Think about what you've heard. Pray for our son. Go up there and pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the Word of God and the power that, Lord, we've sensed in this place tonight. We thank you for the wind of God and the Holy Ghost that's walked up and down the corridors of every pew. God, I thank you for speaking to my heart tonight, God, and I thank you that you told us in your word that you've come to bring deliverance to those that were captive, those that were in bondage tonight. God, I thank you for the word of God that breaks every stronghold. God, will break down every barrier, every cord that will bind us. And, God, I'm praying that we'll be able to get in the altars tonight, God, and find victory in the areas of our lives that the Holy Ghost has revealed. Come on, Lord, I'm asking you tonight, God, to do a work in the hearts of your people. God, I'm praying that you'll reach down deep, God, and help us to lay on the altar tonight, God. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit of God to give us that assurance to know that, God, you're with us. God, show us the evidence of your love tonight. God, let us sense your presence tonight. Let us know your peace tonight. God, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory because you're worthy. Lord, you said in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, you said, Oh, Lord God, thou hast created the heavens and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm. Is there anything too hard for thee? Lord, we know tonight there's nothing too hard. So I'm praying right now that, God, you will lift every bondage, every stronghold, every difficulty. God, lift it tonight and may you be glorified. In the end result, let us walk out of here with victory in our lives tonight, victory in our souls. God, let us walk out of here tonight knowing that we're children and a child of the King. God, thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you.
God. Thank you for letting me preach again tonight. Thank you for strengthening this preacher's heart. Thank you for the truth that the bell hop has brought to us tonight, that we have bags. We have baggage that you want to inspect. You want to x-ray. You want to talk about. Lord, help us to admit our problems. Help us to attack our problems. Help us to advance in our problems. Oh, yes, Lord.